Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. We so appreciate you. If you're a dad, a granddad, a stepdad, any kind of dad, could we just invite you to stand at this time and embarrass you a little bit? We want to appreciate you as fathers in our church. Awesome. Now just remain standing for one second because we want to pray a blessing over you dads. And uh, so just stand for a moment and would everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these men here today, for the dads, granddads present. We know that the Christian home, the family is under attack in our day. And so we pray that you'd guard, uphold, defend, and protect the homes represented right here. We pray that when difficulties come, their faith would not be shaken. We pray that the men in this congregation would rise up as men of great faith, like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul, exercising the gifts your Holy Spirit has given them. Most of all, we pray that they would emulate your son, Jesus, the ultimate servant leader. Uh, Lord God, for those who maybe don't have a godly example of a father at home, would you remind us today of our Heavenly Father's love for each of us? We pray that everything that these men would do would be prosperous and successful for your glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, one more time for the dads. Appreciate you guys. Well, we are going through a series in our church called Expanding the Table for the Glory of God, and we're going through our core values, and the value that we're going to cover today is called Building Strong Families. And so you may notice that we're doing something a little different up here, because I thought, you know, I've been trying to do this for over 20 years with this woman in my life named Julie. Wouldn't it be great if we could share this message uh, together? And so would you just welcome my wife, Julie, up onto the stage today? Good morning. So here we are, and here you are too. Maybe you're here today and you're married, or maybe you're not. Uh, Maybe you'd like to be someday. Maybe you have kids, or maybe you have grandkids, or maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you've got a blended family. Uh, We hope that some of these principles will apply to each person in here, in the room, no matter what your situation uh, is. And so here's our plan. We're going to open up the Word of God, and we're going to share with you some of those spiritual truths that we've learned. We're going to tell you what we know, which is not necessarily everything there is to know. Okay, we're going to tell you what we've learned, which is not necessarily everything there is to learn, uh, but we are going to empty out our cup. Uh, Not really too sure we can fill yours, but we'll do our best at what we know. And so to start, I thought it would be a good idea to tell you a little bit more about our family. And so Julie, why don't you do that part? So this is a recent picture of our family. Uh, We have three daughters. Some of you may know Alexandria is 19. She's the oldest. She just finished her second year at Cedarville University in Ohio. Alex is majoring in international studies and also in Spanish. She's part of her university's Model UN team and their debate team. Um, She'll be studying abroad in Spain this fall, so we're so happy to have her home for the rest of this summer. Michaela is in the middle. She's 13. She plays violin in her school's orchestra. And a couple of weeks ago, she just became a black belt in karate. So we're very proud of her for that. So watch out. Watch out. Uh, Felicity just turned 12. She's been taking dance lessons for a while. She loves anything to do with art, and she participates in art club at school. So that's kind of our family now, but Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit more, like, what was family like for you growing up? Yeah, so my parents have been married for 48 years. Some of you might know them. You want to wave, Mom and Dad? Hey, guys. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, So they have four children, I'm the third, and they still live in the house that I grew up in, in Flemington. So I had a secure home life with an emphasis on the Christian faith and on going to church. And many times in my adult life, I have been so grateful for witnessing my parents' commitment to the church 
and to family. Family first and family time was a very strong value when I was growing up, and that sometimes included my extended family as well, like aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, which on my dad's side all live here in New Jersey, and they're Italian. So it's a big part of the culture I grew up in, family gatherings, family first. Or maybe in my big Italian family, there was food first, big emphasis on food, Amen. food and family. Pretty equal. We do have some good food, though, right? We do. You should try the Parati's Chicken Marcel or Eggplant Parmesan. Oh, I could keep going on. So we had a very different uh, upbringing, and so Julie comes from a more traditional family, whereas I came from a broken home. My parents were bitterly divorced when I was five, uh, and then they separated the siblings out, and so two of us stayed here in New Jersey. And then both my parents were remarried, and then one of them divorced again and remarried again, and then divorced again and remarried again. And so I grew up in an environment that was uh, kind of dysfunctional. We like to put the fun in dysfunction in my house. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff that went on that you really don't want to know about too much. But the good thing about that is, as a result, I do have empathy and a certain compassion for those struggling with those kind of blended families. And I do have a heart for discipleship and counseling and building strong marriages and families as part of my ministry here. So God's really given me a burden for that. And our God is so gracious in that the amazing thing to me in my life is that everything I didn't have in my family of origin, I now have with my current family. And so it really is true that the, the, the years that the locust eats, uh, the Lord will restore. And I've seen the goodness of the Lord in my lifetime in that way. Uh, and even not only with my own children and my wife, uh, but my in-laws have sort of taken me in as their own son, and I call them mom and dad. So God is truly good and works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen? Yeah. Now, some of you, like me, uh, when you hear about family, this kind of brings up some of those strong emotions for you, and I totally get that. Uh, Maybe some of those things are coming up now. Uh, Just so you know, we're not up here to judge anyone's situation. Uh, We're just here to offer you some things that we've learned after the 20-plus years that we've had together. But we want to start by dispelling a certain myth out there, and the myth is this, uh, that for some reason, some people believe that Christians should have perfect families. And we just don't think that that's true at all. Uh, Christians don't have perfect families. Uh, They have problems despite what they appear to look like on social media. Uh, They have conflict and difficulties just like uh, everybody else. And so uh, we're not perfect. Actually, I don't know if, Julie, if you remember, but that one time, remember when we left one of our kids at the park? Yeah. So uh, we left one of the kids alone. For like five or ten minutes, we have three kids, so we figure we got a couple extra, you know, so it'll be all right. She turned out fine. She doesn't like parks much anymore, but we're not sure. I'm pretty sure Jesus' family did that too, so I think we're in good company. So anyway, we're not perfect. Uh, there's no such thing as a perfect family. If you believe that there is, the problem with that is uh, not only will you not accomplish that, but when you do experience problems, inevitably, uh, you'll think that there's something bizarre or weird going on in your home when really it's quite normal. Our point here is not to tell you how to have a perfect family. We don't actually know how to do that. Our point is to uh, teach how to have a strong family so you can endure those difficulties and mistakes when they do come inevitably. And so we want to share with you six things, six characteristics of a strong family. You can pull out your worship guide and follow along with me that way if you like to follow along. But the first thing we'll put up here on the screen, strong families pass down their faith. Can we say that together? Strong families pass down their faith. This is actually what we're commanded to do in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a passage there that's very famous. It's called the Great Shema. Uh, Shema means listen, and so let's do that first. Let's just listen to the Word of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Julie, would you read that for us? 
The scripture says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Great. So what I love about this passage is that it teaches us to intentionally, deliberately pass down theological truth to the next generation. Uh, Notice in red there, there is a theological statement being made. The Lord is one. And so at the foundation, at kind of the baseline of a strong family are certain theological truths. And for us, it's this, there is one God. And it's not just any God, it's Yahweh God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the, the triune God of Scripture. I emphasize this because I actually hear some married couples say, you know, we're not really going to force our faith on our kids. We're not going to really make their mind up for them. We're going to kind of let them figure that out themselves. I just want you to see here that the Word of God says that's actually not what you're supposed to do. Uh, If you want to build a strong family, God says this. First, you are to teach your children the truth about me. Uh, Teach them in some kind of systematic and formal way who I am. That is our responsibility as parents. That's not the church's responsibility. That's not a Christian school's responsibility. That is primarily the parent's responsibility to pass down our faith uh, to our children. Now, of course, as a church, we want to come alongside of families and alongside of parents and partner with you and support you. But this is really the parent's responsibility. And we've tried to do that in our home in a variety of ways. Yes, we've tried to put this into practice in our home many ways over the years. And I'll be honest, I think Dave has sometimes gone a little overboard here in the past. What are you trying to say? Um, I remember when Alex was about one and a half years old, and he thought it was a good idea to teach her Reformed theology. So he'd say, Alex, thought it was time. what's the first point of Calvinism? And she'd say, total depravity. True story. True story. I remember when he taught her and quizzed her fr- quite frequently, I might add, on the Greek alphabet. Or uh, I remember taking her when she was about five years old to see the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit when we lived in Dallas and Dave was going in through seminary. And we were all excited and we got in the car and we're on the way and suddenly she pipes up from the back seat and she says, Mom, Dad, why do we want to go see Dead Sea Squirrels? Anyway, Alex, um, Alex was actually in Israel a couple of weeks ago and she texted us to let us know that she was on her way to see the squirrels. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we tried. But seriously, we've made a serious effort here uh, in many ways. We have done family devotions together. We've had a lot of family prayer times, not just before meals, but other times too, um, such as before big occasions or just as a regular way of supporting each other through different issues and areas and difficulties. Um, You know, we will all hold hands in a circle. We'll get together and pray through whatever that concern is. A few years ago, we started something new. We started what we call prayer on the stairs. So we all sit on the staircase and you pray for the family member that is below you. Uh, We've always been part of the local church. Um, We've been active in ministries in the church. Our kids have seen us participate in ministry since they were very little, and we have had them participate as well in any way that they can at whatever stage that they're at. And going to church on Sunday morning is really non-negotiable in our house, and that's not just because dad is the pastor. He hasn't always been a pastor. But it's out of a love for the Lord and his church and an obedience to his word. So those are the values that we want to emulate and show our children. So we can't expect them to go to church and want to go to church as they grow up and love the Lord and serve the Lord if we don't do those things now. Can we? 
And I'll be honest with you, church, this, this keeps me up at night. The weight of it sometimes feels like an elephant on my chest, and I fervently pray that my children will have a burning desire to follow the Lord for all of their lives, that he would capture their hearts now, and he would hold them captive forever. I see a lot of children grow up and turn away from the faith or reject going to church, and I don't have all the answers as to why that happens, but I do know that God has called me to pray for the hearts of my children. So here's the point. In Deuteronomy 6, if you want to have a strong family, God says, teach them about me. Not only that, we do that formally, but you'll notice there's an informality to this structure too. When are we supposed to do this? He says, when you sit down, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. So when is that? Well, that's what we call teachable moments. Uh, So there's this systematic teaching, but then there's also this informal uh, kind of sharing the truth when God's truth intersects in our lives in unexpected ways from time to time. Uh, When you sit at home probably refers, most Hebrew scholars think, to mealtime. So when you sit down and eat together, you would talk about God's commandments during that time. When you walk along the road, that refers to how they would travel uh, back then. They didn't have minivans like we do. Uh, They would walk. And so when you would walk, you would talk about the commandments of God that were relevant during your traveling. Nowadays, we do that differently. Uh, But when you're on your way, think about that. When you're taking them to soccer practice, when you're dropping them off at a friend's house, when you're dropping them off at school, you talk about those things then. And then he says, when you lie down, that probably refers to bedtime, uh, which of course is still relevant to tuck your kids in, to connect hearts uh, before bed, doesn't take long to sit at the foot of the bed and pray over them. Uh, it might sound simple, but it's very profound. Because what are you doing there? You are, you are telling them how much you care. You're telling them how much God cares right before they close their eyes at night. But the point here is you take advantage of all these teachable moments to share the truth about God with your family. Now, of course, all of this takes what? Time. All of this takes time. And that kind of leads us to our second point today. Strong families make time for each other. Can we say that together? Strong families make time for each other. Every strong family that we've ever met prioritizes spending quality time in generous quantities, and they structure their lifestyle in such a way that they can do that. Now, I know how busy this is to live in central New Jersey. We are always coming and going, us included, uh, but you make time for what you value. And so for The reality here, uh, I'd like to share with you uh, this truth. Uh, Strong families don't find the time. They make the time. And so that's important because the problem is a lot of families are overcommitted and they may need to say no to some things in order to bring uh, the family uh, together. So we've had to do that uh, in many different ways. So you may have heard that kids spell love, T-I-M-E, And I have experienced that to be 100% true. In our family, we've tried to prioritize family time in many different ways over the years. For several years, we had a weekly family night, and we would take turns deciding what activity we would do as a family. Usually it was playing board games or watching a movie or going to the park when the kids were small. And the kids looked forward to family night with such anticipation. I mean, it was the highlight of their week. And we still do family night whenever we can fit it in. Also, family vacation has been uh, an important family time as well for us. We have specifically chosen many vacations that are low-key, where we go to a cabin and we disconnect from the internet completely, and we spend time doing thousand-piece puzzles together. It takes all week, uh, playing charades and hiking and cooking meals all together as a family with no distractions. 
You know, a few years ago, we went to Disney, and that was great, but it was also exhausting. So if you've been to Disney, you know that. Um, So there's something to be said, I think, for making your own fun and then connecting with, with each other without all of that entertainment surrounding you and distracting you. But if I had to pick the most important, it's the simplest, and honestly, lately, the hardest way that we prioritize family time, it would be with what Dave is going to share with you now. Yeah, I used to speak to parents all the time, and I would share this government study uh, that's really amazing. So let me just share it with you. Uh, Columbia University, a research off the charts, said that if you as a family would like to increase your child's grades and college ambition and decrease all those at-risk behaviors coming up on the screen, the research shows that you would want to do this one thing in your family, and all of that stuff would statistically be much more probable. All you got to do is this one thing in your family. Would you be interested in that one thing? Who wouldn't be? That one thing was just simply eating dinner with your family five days a week. Something so deceptively simple can have a lasting impact on your child's well-being. So I challenge you as parents, find a way to eat dinner with each other as much as possible because strong families make time for each other. Next characteristic is this. Strong families learn to communicate. Can we say that together? Strong families learn to communicate. That means they spend, are you ready for this, large amounts of time talking with one another, and they're good listeners. They may have disagreements, but they don't attack each other and have learned healthy ways to communicate what are sometimes very strong emotions. So we've had to deal with that in many ways, right? Yeah, so here's how we try to do this in our home. I actually asked my kids this week in preparation for this message, I said, what do you think we do well in our family? And one of them said, we talk openly with each other with the understanding that the underlying foundation is one of unconditional love no matter what that conflict is. We don't ignore conflicts in our family or disagreements, but we actually sit down and try to hash them out and talk through them. And sometimes it's a very arduous task. Uh, It takes lots of time. It takes tons and tons of patience and sometimes more than one discussion and oftentimes no perfect resolution comes to the surface. It just doesn't occur. So we just resolve to keep talking about that and revisiting it, you know, that issue or problem, and just keep on listening to each other. Yeah, which leads us to dispel another myth that's out there. And the myth is this, that Christian families don't have any conflict. Yeah, that's just not true at all. All families have conflict. Uh, Let's just normalize that. The issue in your family is not if you have conflict. The issue is how are you going to deal with the conflict when it does come inevitably? Because it does come, and the natural human response to conflict is separateness. But you can learn skillfully to make that conflict a greater catalyst toward oneness. And so dealing with conflict appropriately, I think, is the most important skill in terms of building a strong family. And God's Word actually talks a lot about that. So here's what James 1.19 says. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, to be totally honest, this verse is so convicting to us, and it has been one of the hardest things for us to learn. And to be candid, we still don't always get this right in our home, not at all. Uh, We struggle at times too, but the key is not that you get to a place where you don't ever mess up, But the key is that when we do mess up, which we do, we apologize, we account for what we've said, for how we've behaved, we forgive, and we move on, and we try again 
And Dave and I have had to apologize not only to each other, but also to our children numerous times over the last 20 plus years. And, you know, strong families, they don't just learn how to communicate difficult things, but they also learn to communicate good things, like their appreciation and their love for each other. The Bible says to do this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, where it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. So we started a tradition when the kids were small, where every Christmas we all write each other a letter, and we tell each person why we are grateful for them this year. And we place them in each other's stockings and read them aloud to each other on Christmas morning. It takes time to read all the letters, and when the kids were very small, it was hard for them to sit through this time because they wanted to just get to the presents. But very, very quickly, after a year or two, they grew to love it, and it truly has become like a highlight of our year. And I'm sure they can no longer even remember Christmas when we didn't do this. Um, And it's been fun to see the letters evolve from... Just, dear mommy, I love you, with a drawing of a Christmas tree, to these very wonderful, mature, verbose letters that they are now. And we've saved them all, I think. I have. I do have them. Yes. It's one of my favorite family traditions that we do. So we encourage you to positively communicate and then learn to communicate the difficult things, too. That's a skill you can learn, and everything up here really is something you can learn. Now, the next point we want to make is this. Strong families are built on strong marriages. So can we say that together? Strong families are built on the foundation of strong marriages. And so we believe God designed marriage to be a covenant, uh, and that covenant was not meant to be broken. This is what the scriptures teach. Uh, One time the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and they came up to him uh, to ask him some questions about divorce. And uh, here's how uh, he responded to them. Julie, would you read that for us? Here we read our Lord Jesus saying, Haven't you read, he replied, That at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So we see here that Jesus taught the permanent model of marriage. And that takes a lot of commitment, because it's not always easy. Uh, In the field of Christian counseling, they talk about commitment in two ways. The first is what they call constraint commitment. Uh, That's when you're committed, but it's just because of what it would have cost you if you would not remain committed anymore. It would cost you your identity or your stability financially or some other cost that you don't want to pay. That's constraint commitment. Uh, What you're looking for there is the second one, which we call personal dedication commitment. This is when I want to remain committed uh, because this decision is best and most satisfying for me. Now, though the second one is what you want to aim for in marriage, the truth is both are necessary uh, for a good marriage to be sustained because it's not always going to be easy. But a strong family, the research says, is one in which there is not a preoccupation with daydreaming about what could be or window shopping about other options or um, you know, looking around for other choices in a mate. The research says most dedicated couples actually always devalue other alternatives when they present themselves. I saw a quote this week that kind of reinforced this. I thought it was pretty cute. It said, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. And I thought, you know, that's so true, especially in marriage. Uh, Strong families are committed uh, to watering their own garden in that way. Now, we realize the Bible does open the door for exceptions here. And maybe you're here today and you had plans uh, to make a lifetime out of your marriage, but then your spouse didn't. And Obviously, that interrupted 
uh, your plans. And so some Christians do have legitimate uh, grounds for divorce, and we could talk about that another time. And I understand that. I have much empathy for that situation. Uh, But at the same time, uh, far too often that's not the case, and married couples are divorced on unbiblical grounds, and then they tear their family apart rather than doing the hard work of reconciliation. And that causes a lot of damage because I've lived through that. If we do that as a church, then it really doesn't matter that our core value is building strong families. It doesn't matter what we say we believe. It doesn't matter what we're singing. Uh, What we're doing is we're taking the icon of Christ and his bride, and we're tearing that apart as the children watch before their very eyes. And far too often I've seen nobody's really saying a word about that. And so we want to contend for strong families here. If we want to build strong families, then we have to do what Jesus did. And here's what Jesus did. Let me quote Andy Stanley on this. Uh, Jesus upheld the ideal when it came to marriage, but he didn't condemn those who fell short. Do you see the difference there? There's a tension if you think about that statement. He upheld the ideal of marriage with God's original design, but he also showed grace and mercy and love towards those who had fallen short of that ideal. There's a tension there, and sometimes we would prefer that Jesus would pick one or the other. Sometimes when he would get trapped by the Pharisees, he would have to answer skillfully. But whether it was when he was speaking to those religious leaders or whether he was talking to the woman caught in adultery or whether he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, his response was always the same, to uphold the ideal but not condemn those who had fallen short. We want to do the opposite. We want to pick one or the other. We want to either lower the ideal so that we'll feel better about ourselves Or we'd like to condemn those who fall short and feel self-righteous and judge others, and both of those two extremes would be wrong. So we think, you know, Jesus, which one are you going to do here? Uh, Are you going to uh, uphold God's ideal of marriage? And he says, yes. Well, are you going to condemn all these divorced people? And he says, no. You see, what Jesus does is he gives his life for those who fall short, and that applies to all of us in many, many ways. Let me just remind you of one example in John chapter 4. He encounters that Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and was now living with a woman who was not her, with a man, excuse me, who was not her husband. And about halfway through this conversation with her, uh, he kind of brings up the elephant in the room. As Jesus said to her, uh, woman, go call your husband and come here. Now I want you to just notice that verse and notice the two different parts there. He addresses the issue with a question that would point out that she was living in sin. Woman, go call your husband. But then he also creates a space for her to find mercy and forgiveness as he says, and come here. Do you see that? Notice, Jesus was not disgusted by this woman. Uh, He was not insulted by this woman. Jesus looked at her with eyes of love, and he did for her as he did for me and you offer an invitation for her to come unto me. Friends, as a church, if we are to build strong families, then we must follow this model. We cannot be like James and John, the disciples who said, Jesus, should we call down fire on the Samaritans over here? Jesus said, when you say that, you don't know what spirit you are of. Jesus did not come to bring fire upon the Samaritans. He came to bring them living water. And we are to follow his example as well. I like the way Russell Moore says it. Russell Moore said, Jesus did not respond to sin with accommodation, nor did Jesus respond with condemnation. 
Instead, he responded with a word of reconciliation. That is the model that we are to follow as his church, which means we contend for marriage and we fight for families. But we always do that in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few months back, Dave and I were doing a couple's devotional written by Gary Thomas, who's great, by the way. And in that book, he told this story about Hollywood actor Al Pacino. So Al Pacino was going to go hear Frank Sinatra sing in the late uh, or the early 1980s. Uh, but when he arrived, he discovered that the opening act was this famous drummer, who at that time was in his late 60s. So Al Pacino thought, okay, this is going to be boring. I'm going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs until Frank Sinatra comes out. But then he said something unexpected happened. The drummer sat down at the drums and pulled sounds, rhythms, and cadences out of that drum set that he had never heard before. He sat there mesmerized at the experience, and then there was a standing ovation. And then Frank Sinatra came out, and he said, You see this guy drumming? You know, sometimes it's good to stay at a thing. Sometimes it's good to stay at a thing. You know, the covenant of marriage is like that. A deep marriage takes time to build, as well as tremendous effort. You stay at it, and you stay at it some more, and by God's grace, that marriage over time becomes so seasoned and so rich, so robust and deep and mature and fulfilling, because there's something about a love that has endured, which far outweighs the thrill of newly discovered affection and infatuation. And you won't know the blessing of that until you walk through it day by day, year after year, following God's call to love and honor and cherish your spouse. Marriage is about changing and conforming yourself to the image of Christ, and it's not easy. And I don't think it ever, ever ends, this maturing process while we're here on earth. Even us seasoned married folks need reminders and encouragement from time to time. In fact, there was a time when Dave and I needed someone to sit down with us and read 1 Corinthians 13 to us, and I'm telling you, it just washed over us and reminded us once again what true biblical love is, because sometimes in our day-to-day living, we lose sight of that, and we need to be reminded it's a daily decision to selflessly love. Yeah, thanks. So strong families are built on strong marriages, which leads us to kind of a related point. It's very difficult to do this alone. And so the next point I want to make for you is this. Strong families don't do life alone. Can we say that together? Strong families don't do life alone. They don't try to figure it all out on their own. They don't keep quiet and keep secrets and just hope it gets better. Uh, This is important because when you decide to get married or you decide to have children, uh, they don't come with instructions. There's no, like, permitting process. Uh, You don't apply, and then all of a sudden you get your CO. I mean, it's difficult. And sometimes... We stumble into these things unknowing and unaware, and we begin to make a mess. And so for this reason, we would encourage you to get around older couples and older families that you respect and ask them what they have learned and what they did right and what they did wrong and try to get under another couple who will shepherd you in that process. Now, this is hard because this takes humility. Uh, Even if we're stuck, we don't like asking for help. We saw in the video earlier, especially us guys, we don't want to ask for directions. We think that that's a sign of weakness. 
But I want to tell you this morning, that's not actually a sign of weakness to reach out for help. That's a sign of strength. That might be the the hardest thing to do, but that's the smartest thing to do, uh, to reach out and get help beyond yourselves. Uh, For Julie and I, we are just eternally grateful for a few couples that have invested in us. We think about the Popes, the Shills, the Babbitts. We could go on and on, but couples who have loved us and really helped us along the way. Now, that takes courage to reach out, uh, but we would encourage you to tap yourself right here on the chest and have the courage to reach out and get the help and support that you need. Uh, If you want to talk to me, we'd be glad to talk with you. Uh, but we need to reach out and not try to do life alone. Now that leads us to a, a last point. And before I get to that, when we looked up at the screen as we were preparing this message to share with you this morning, we began to be somewhat overwhelmed by how difficult it is to accomplish those five things up there. And we were freshly reminded of how often we fall short in all five of these areas. Uh, There are times where we don't make the time for each other. There are times when we act selfishly. There are times when our words are much more careless than they should be. And we thought, you know, we really need to put one more point on the end of this outline, and here it is. Strong families depend on the gospel. Strong families depend on the gospel. And this is where our faith in Jesus is so important, because we recognize that as a family, we need the gospel of grace and mercy and unconditional love on a daily basis. And the good news that Jesus tells us is when you do fall short, when you do sin in one of these areas, he says to us, like he said to that Samaritan woman, go get your family and come here. Come here. Confess, repent, get right with each other, get right with me, and come here. I will take that sin, I will wash it in my blood, and I will make you clean again. What a Savior that we have. We can tell you with with absolute conviction, if it were not for the grace of God, we think building strong families would be impossible. It would be impossible. But because of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gives us a new foundation upon which we can build a strong family onto a solid rock of the love and the grace and the mercy of our Savior, Jesus. And so we challenge you just to take a look up at the screen and begin to build your family using these principles, to put these principles into practice And we pray that God would just bless your home beyond what you could imagine. Now, here's why this is so important. Strong families are not just something we need to build a better church or to build a better society. Strong families are not just part of a social contract. Strong families are not just something that's an economic arrangement. The scripture tells us that strong families are a special reflection of heaven itself and a picture of God. There is a great mystery at play here between Christ and his church. And Ephesians chapter 3 says, It's from our Heavenly Father that every family on earth derives its name. And so in that way, we as a family reflect heaven. Moms and dads and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters are a reflection of the divine order. And we want people to get a glimpse of God when they look at our family. We as fathers and mothers are a special reflection of God. Yeah, so sometimes the Bible speaks of God using motherly imagery. That might sound unusual, but it's true. In Hosea 13.8, it says, If anyone messes with the Lord's people, he would become like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will attack them and tear them asunder. Friends, if you get confronted with a mother bear, you are in trouble. 
Because it's not just you against the bear, it is you against this universal law of motherhood, which says when it comes to her children, a mother is not messing around. If she thinks you are a threat to her kids, then you are in trouble and watch out. Watch out. And don't mess with her kids. And that's, that is what this verse is teaching us. If you've ever seen a mother protect her children? Well, that's uh, what God is like. God is protective of his children, and he cares when his children, when his children are hurting. And he sacrifices for his children out of a deep and nurturing love. And so moms, we are made to reflect God. So moms, show us what God is like. And since it's Father's Day, let's be reminded that the flip side is also true. In Psalm chapter 103, it says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And I think on Father's Day, it's significant for us to remember that when Jesus taught us to pray... He did not say that you should address God as your majesty or your honor or your highness, although God is all those things. Instead, he invited us to pray, saying, Our Father. That means that the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, the great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega himself, Jehovah Jireh, El Shaddai, is your Father. That's amazing. Since it's Father's Day, those of us who are dads need to realize that we are called as his image bearers to reflect him in this special way. So we see here that God values strong families, but the reason is because he wants our families to be a reflection of heaven itself. Now church, can you just imagine if we all got this? Can you just imagine a church full of strong families reflecting God to a watching world? Can you imagine that? Let's be that church. Amen?